welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. We're going to be looking today at the book of Zechariah. In a few moments, we're going to read a passage out of Zechariah chapter 8, but I find it's helpful at times to set the context for a text. In the context of Zechariah, it's important to know Haggai and Zechariah are found side by side in the Old Testament. You go to Matthew and you turn left back into the Old Testament. You're going to hit Zephaniah first, you keep going, you're going to cross Zechariah, which is um, before Haggai. Haggai is only two chapters long, but Haggai and Zechariah are all their contemporaries together. It's, it's Haggai who, as the exiles are returning from the Babylonian captivity between 550 and 500 BC, that they're returning to Jerusalem. And Haggai's message is, hey, we got to get on this. We've got to rebuild the temple. We've got to get this thing built because the temple had been destroyed. And the temple that's going to be referred to is the temple that used to be on what's known as the Temple Mount. So whenever you see pictures of the western wall where the Jews go to pray, the temple would be just on the other side of that, okay? It's all the way up that large wall of stone just on the other side. It's not there today. It was destroyed in 70 AD. Or if you see pictures of Jerusalem and you see what's known as the Dome of the Rock, the Golden Dome, that approximates where the temple, the first and the second temple, both of which were destroyed, sat. So the first temple's been destroyed, the second temple's waiting to be built, and God's speaking to Haggai this word, tell the folks to get on the job. We gotta get this done. We gotta get this temple rebuilt. Zechariah, whose name means God remembers, Zechariah's purpose is connecting people to remember that God's not just about the building of his temple. Our God is about a God of relationship. And that's what we want to focus on today is about this aspect of relationship. Some nerdy things about Zechariah. It's interesting that Zechariah, we think that his father must have passed away before Zechariah took the priestly office that he had because he's referenced by his grandfather, Edo which I think is like, like Guido, but I know it's Edo, right? So his grandfather, Guido. And um, this message that God uses actually is one that's important to see the theme throughout. So we're going to do some biblical hopscotch through Zechariah as we remember that we're not the only ones who do the remembering, but God remembers for us and we're caught up in God's remembering so you're the God of the breakthrough, the God who's running to me. Also, before we ever get to the text, I want to plant this idea in your mind from Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. So before we ever get to this text, I want you to think about this. Think of the prodigal son. He's been in the far country, right? He finally has a moment of awakening and chooses to return. And if you remember that parable, the father sees that the son is returning, the younger son is returning, and he gathers up the garment that he had and he runs to embrace his son. So that imagery in parable is what the narrative of Zechariah is about. We're going to be looking at the importance of how it is that's both a God who reaches to us and a God who welcomes us when we return. It's a both and. Okay, and we're going to unpack a little bit of Methodist theology about that as well that's distinctive from John Wesley about, about 
What is our role in the response to God? But the culmination of these of, of, of what we're going to read is going to be in chapter 8 of Zechariah. Zechariah has actually eight different visions from God that relate to uh, the remembrance and the rebuilding and the aspects of what God is doing. So this is the culmination of what we're going to talk about. So in other words, we're about to read in Zechariah chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, the culmination of what God has been doing in his people's heart. So if you're able to stand, I invite you to stand as you hear now the words from Zechariah chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. I'll invite you to follow along either on the screen or in your Bible. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as I did in the past, declares the Lord Almighty. The word remnant would be the group of people who have come out of exile and are coming back to Jerusalem. And here's the encouraging word, verse 12. The seed will grow well. The vine yield its fruit. The ground will produce its crops. And the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. Just as you, Judah and Israel, have been a curse among the nations, so I will save you. And you will be a blessing do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You all can be seated, and as you are, let's pray together. <laughs> May your scripture, O God, stand between me and your people, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we gather, in whose name we pray. And in his name, we will depart this day, letting the scriptures read and transform us and follow you faithfully. And all of God's people said, amen. So you've, you're going to hear endless stories about my aging grandson who's almost two now, right? So for, I'm a grandparent for the first time, and it's amazing, all the stuff. The best part about being a grandfather is... Don't tell anybody, but I haven't changed the dirty diaper yet. And I use that word yet with emphasis. I know the day is coming. When we go to visit him and my wife, Sean, says, well, it's been a week. We haven't seen David. We, we have to like adjust our schedule to go see the grandchild. When we see him. He always is so excited to see us, but when my wife and I are walking up, there is a bit of pain involved in that encounter. That joyful sense of reunion, he looks and smiles at us both, but guess who he always goes to first? Grandma. Her name is Grammy, or as he says, Yee. <laughs> the moment of that reunion, the moment of that connection, it's really amazing. It's amazing to watch and to see the growth, the, the, what's happened in his life, the new language he's using, his new expressions. He's learning how to use his tongue and his language. So last night we got the text, and he says it like this, I love you. <laughs> learning how to get the inflection with all of his tongue. 
There's a transformation that's happening, but a relationship that's established. This is the model of what's happening in Zechariah. Haggai tells everybody, get that temple built. Zechariah reminds the people it's about a relationship and returning to God. And God returning to you. Everything that we need to know as we play now, I'm going to call this biblical hopscotch through Jeremiah. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 3 to begin with. If you have your Bible, you can mark it and underline it if you want, because that's the theme of the whole book. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. What's really fascinating, when you use biblical study tools, you read the text, and the text tells you the hints about its authorship. So, did you notice that in both places you see the phrase, the Lord Almighty. It tells us throughout Zechariah, this is the single distinction used. Every time God's referred to, it is the Lord Almighty. And because of that, we know it's Zechariah who has penned these words with consistency. There's a joint part of this relationship. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. It is a God who wants us to return, and the responsibility that we have to do some returning. So, we're Methodist, and we talk about a Wesleyan Methodist heritage. Um, we are first Christians, and then I like to say it's seasoned or through the lens of a Wesleyan theology. An emphasis on grace, an open table of communion, a belief in the scriptures that transform our lives, and one of the aspects, and when we understand about salvation, is that we believe God is the one who does the saving. We're the ones who respond. So to nerd out a bit, this is called the Armenian Wesleyan influence of free will. In other words, Joseph Arminius was read by John Wesley. And when we talk about this free will that we have to respond to God, this is what that means. Wesley emphasized that God's grace and God's love so greatly pursues us that even our desire to respond to God is a response to God reaching for us. And what Wesley was wanting to emphasize is to help people understand you do nothing to save yourself. Even your turning to God, even the turning of your life to God is a response to a God who loves you. First John, we love why? Because God first loved us. So this idea is that God is reaching to us, but it cannot be separated from the reality that there is a responsibility that we have on our side of the relationship to move towards God. If we move on in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 16, this is what the Lord says, I will return Jerusalem with mercy, and their house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will stretch out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord. This is important that God is the one who's actively involved in our being returned to him. God is actively involved in bridging the gap between us and God. Think of the life of Christ. God coming in human form to bridge the gap between us and God, dying for our sins, reaching toward us. It's the activity of God doing the saving, us doing the responding. So what happens is we get caught up in God's story 
It's not our story. It's God's story that we allow our lives to be absorbed into. But free will means we get to choose to do that. It's a simple concept. I see Jake back here. Jake has one of two choices regarding his room, which may or may not be clean at this moment. Ooh, I saw that. You might want to work on that this afternoon, Jake. You can help out, Ty. If a child voluntarily cleans their room and the parent comes in, it brings great joy to the parent's heart. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah. But sometimes the parent has to ask the child to clean the room. What brings joy to the relationship? Something that's mandated or something that's voluntary? You know the answer, the voluntary act, right? The non-mandated. This relationship we have with God is not mandated. It's a voluntary response because of the relationship. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment. But first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. This gets picked up in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 4, when we understand that returning and being returned to God is about God's forgiveness. Listen to what it says in Zechariah 3, 4. In the midst of these dreams and visions that Zechariah is having, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off filthy clothes, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Now that seems like an odd text, except that if you do the digging into the text, it tells you. Joshua is not the Joshua who followed Moses. Reading in Ezra, this is the Joshua who was one of the high priests who led the people back to Jerusalem. And what the message from the angelic vision is, is that the filthy rags of having been in exile are going to be taken off. And when God restores this relationship and in forgiveness, there will be fine garments that you're clothed with. When we started the church in Allen, Texas, we lived in a place called Twin Creeks. And if you know anything about Collin County as a geologist, the dirt in Collin County is a, uh, it's like a clay. Uh, it's a black dirt clay. When it gets dry, it just literally shrinks up and there's, you can lose an ankle in the gaps in those cotton fields in Collin County. But when it rains, it turns into almost a paste of mortar. And so in order to prepare these houses, foundations, they excavate that dirt that is not good and they bring in these large, large uh, piles of sand to change the dirt consistency. I know that many a morning waking up, if we ever heard beep, 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 it meant that there was another load of sand coming in. And it was a red sand. It was very distinctive. And I also knew that it meant that after school that day, every kid on the block was going to be where? on the sand pile. And this sand would get in everything. Kids would come home and that red, whatever was in that red sand, whether it was iron or whatever it was, it would be in their shoes, in their socks, in their clothes, in their hair. And as the kids would come in, the universal thing we do is we say, stop. You can't bring those clothes into the house, right? 
You get the garage and you have the kids strip down the garage so there's a pile of sand outside the house, not inside the house. Because what they had been playing in stuck to them. And the imagery is the clothes that was on Joshua the high priest who's led the people back from exile, they're going to be taken off and fine garments. This is the imagery of forgiveness, that God is going to clothe you anew. That what God does is he forgives, he clothes you anew. And he doesn't just clothe you anew in forgiveness, but this forgiveness is about not only being returned to God and God returning to you, but it's about the restorations of your relationship with God first, that's what's in Zechariah 3, 4. But that restored relationship necessarily will extend to other relationships and human relationships. We read in the third chapter, verses 9 and 10 of Zechariah, See the stone that I've set in front of Joshua. So we still have Joshua. Now he's the high priest. He's clothed with fine garments. There's a stone set in front of him. This is a vision that there's seven eyes on that stone. Okay. Now we're getting weird, right? Seven eyes. Anytime you read the Old Testament and you hear prophetic words or in apocalyptic stuff like Daniel, the number seven is a simple imagery of perfectness. Six days, God created the world, and on the seventh day, he rested. So if you, you know, we're getting up to Halloween and all this, you know, spooky stuff, and not that I'm actually in any way... Um, superstitious, but I will be going home to put on this same shirt tonight for the Astros that I wore last night, just in case it is involved, right? But seven is a sense of completeness. Six is the sense of not yet complete. So the way we get 13 is an unlucky number is the combination of seven and six, because it's the incomplete and the complete being married together. So that's sort of the, 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 the etymology of that. So these seven eyes are completely, all the eyes of the world, they're on this stone. And on the stone, God's going to engrave on it, I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. And in that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Now look, on this side of the resurrection, we know how God changes the world in a single day. It was a place called Golgotha in Jerusalem, where the one who loved you to life eternal loved you literally to death on a cross. Right? He died for the sins of the world. But in this moment, prior to Jesus coming, this is a reminder that the restored relationship that we have by accepting forgiveness will naturally flow out to our other relationships. We know something about broken relationships in the United Methodist Church right now and the need to restore those. And if we try to restore those only in our own efforts, we're going to fail. We're going to have to make sure that we make ourselves available to what God would do through us. When I drive in Houston traffic, I have a phrase that keeps me from thinking really evil thoughts around the intersections of Beltway 8 and 59 or 610 or anything inside of 610 on 59. When the traffic goes crazy and someone does something kind of crazy, I'll say, Jesus loves you and I'm working on it. <laughs> and I can let those moments where, and I don't know that other person's story. I don't know what's going on in their life. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe they meant to cut off. I, I, just, I just realized I can't get caught up in what the other is doing. What I can be consumed with is how have I made my life so available to God that I've accepted his forgiveness and I've let that forgiveness flow through me 
And it, it affects me so greatly that there's going to be a day that God is going to, is going to restore the friendships, restore the relationships, and will gather our neighbors underneath the vine and underneath the fig tree. Not only is returning and being returned to God, restoring our friendships, restoring our relationship with God, but it changes us on the inside and allows God to do things that previously it wasn't that God didn't want to do, but we weren't available to let God do. That's where we pick up the text now in Zechariah chapter 8. Prophet says, I'm going to deal with a remnant of this people as I did in the past. God says, I'm going to do something different. In the Old Testament, in Jewish Hebrew thought, nothing happens by chance. God is in control of everything. There's a purpose for everything. So God is saying, I'm going to deal differently with these people, this remnant that have come back to Jerusalem. Basically, throughout the book of Zechariah, this restored relationship is your punishment's over. And I'm going to show you how the text tells us this. The seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit. This is verse 12. The ground will produce its crops, the heavens will drop their dew, rain. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of these people. All these blessings of God will flow from this group that has moved back, not just to restore and rebuild the temple, as Haggai says, but to restore their relationship to God as Zacharias pleading with them to do. If this were the message translation written to us today, it would be this. Behold, church, COVID is over. Inflation's going down. The cost of gas is going down. I mean, these would be the things that tell us there's a flow of abundance. Then verse 13 carries the weight of all of this. When you read in the Hebrew, sometimes when we translate that, it reads straight across and we miss the nuances of the language. So I'm going to read verse 13 if we take the nuance of the Hebrew. Just as you, Judah and Israel, and your names have been used as a curse among all the nations, I'm going to save you and I'm going to make your name a blessing so that where it was a curse, now it's a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. The culmination of when we choose to respond to being restored and returned to God, even our thought of turning is God saying, I want that relationship with you. It's accepting that forgiveness. It's so deeply letting it seep into our bones that it affects the relationships around us. I'll tell you how this gets practical in a couple of ways. Three things highlighting. First, how does this happen for your life? You don't listen to it, go have lunch, watch the Astros, and never think about it again. It won't work for you that way, okay? It's all, it's all good to hear, but if you want that restored relationship where God's love seeps into your bones, you have to spend time with God in Scripture and in prayer. Because if you don't spend time with God in Scripture and in prayer, you don't allow the will, the heart, and the mind of God to have any effect on your life. So if you don't pick up your Bible for a whole week and this is just sort of a stop by or a podcast on the way to work and you're not carving out time to be in prayer and to read the scriptures, you're not making yourself available for God and to be returned to God. It's not that God doesn't want to do that in your life. It's that you're not providing the space for God to do that. 
So one simple way is for you to get connected to what's known as a discipleship band group or the discipleship daily readings through the band group and Seedbed. See me afterwards and I'll tell you exactly how to sign up for that. It's a daily devotional, daily grounding in scripture. Another thing is to think about is who's around you. I had the privilege of being at a breakfast for Workface Solutions, which is one of the amazing uh, ministries that our church participates in. People have been trained, equipped to marry the faith with equipping people to be trained for a job. And um, Rand, uh, Rodney Bullard uh, was a, the, basically the keynote speaker. Uh, he works for Chick-fil-A, so um, everything's about customer service at Chick-fil-A. And obviously the phrase I heard several times was, my pleasure. Right? But he talked about how it's such a consistent thing in that culture for his life because he talked about his Aunt Dodd, who when questioned by a cousin of, of Rodney's, the cousin said to Aunt Dodd, how do you change the world? And Aunt Dodd said, you change it three feet at a time. Who's in your three feet around you is your world, and that's how you change the world. Isn't that a great imagery? So who's in your three feet, Right? When you make yourself available to God, you accept what God offers you, and then you let it flow through you, that should impact who's in your three feet. Who's in your three feet, friends? Next thing I want you to hang your head on as we wrap this up is Zechariah chapter 8, verse 19. Absolutely love this text. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The feast, or the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, the tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. Man, can you go wrong with that? Love truth and peace. Spend time in God's word. Make yourself available in prayer to what God wants to do. Love truth and peace. And then lastly, this imagery. You may think that you have to have it all together to come to God, even today to communion. But I want you to know God does not wait for you to get it all together. God welcomes you wherever you are. In the words of Ann Voskamp in her book, The Broken Way, the best yields always start as broken fields. The best yields always start as broken fields. Friends, as we come to this table of communion today, we come remembering that we are a people who are gathered by God who specializes in making us whole by using what is broken. And when we share in the breaking of this bread, is it not a means of sharing in the body of Christ and the bread of life? And as Jesus said to the disciples, he says to you and me, take and eat, this is my body, it's given for you. And the cup over which we give thanks, this cup of forgiveness is given for all. Is it not a means of sharing in the blood of Christ? Let's pray together. Oh God, as we seek to know how we return to you and you are the one who welcomes us in return, pour out your Holy Spirit upon these elements of the bread and the cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world. The body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.